Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, welcome to My Mate Bought a Toaster. Joining me today, a human being I've been hounding since I started doing this podcast to try and get her on because I think she's absolutely brilliant. So I'm thrilled to be joined by the fabulous comedian Shappy Corsandi. Shappy, hello. Finally, I mean, that sounds like a sort of slightly pass ag. Do you know what I mean? Start. Oh, gosh, she's finally doing it. But I'm really grateful that you're finally here. Hello. Hello. I remember I kept um, saying I can't do it because I was finishing a novel yeah. and, and then I never finished it and it's been put back to next year. So now <sighs> I'm doing lots of podcasts. It's a real pain. Yeah, writing a novel. Do you feel deliciously guilty mm. and sort of... I feel kind of guilty because it was four novels from four different people all meant to be coming out at the same time. But then... When lockdown happened, I couldn't write a word. I can't write with the kids in the house. Yes. It's really difficult. And also, I'm not one of those people that can write through the night. Mm. Um, I got a missed call from my dad the other day at half past three in the morning because he's a writer and he writes through the night. Right. But he's also 75, so I panicked and called him back and I could just hear him like with pots and pans making food at sort of half three going, oh, no, it's okay, I just pocket called you. <laughs> because he writes but then I get then I think well he never had to get up with kids so that's why so I give myself a break so I've been I just I just couldn't f- quite finish it and I couldn't um absorb my head in it no so your so your dad is an overnight writer but that's not how you roll are you not, you're not an insomniac type person then you get you get your sleep no god no 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 I need to sleep yeah. and I'm such a good early riser like if I you know, if the kids are at school, I'm happy to get up at six, write for an hour before they get up and then, you know, write in the morning and then I'm sort of done. Yeah, yeah. I'm not good at night. I get really down at night. Me too, Matt. So like my 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 favourite uh, TV job or radio job actually is, is doing breakfast first thing in the morning because I'm like, because I'm, I, I tell you why, it's because I haven't spent too much time with myself by that stage yeah. in the day. And yeah. you know, I'm still quite like I'm. I'm okay. By the evening, I'm like, oh, shut up! I just, I can't bear it. I just want to go to sleep. I know. I know that feeling. I like to get things done in the morning. I like the morning. Get it done. It's a productive time. Did you used to get up as a kid? Then your dad would be sitting there having done all of his work overnight. Yeah, in in the night time, he would. Yeah, like if I went down to get a glass of water in the middle of the night, he'd be up with his. Just at the table mm. with his fountain pen in one hand, cigarette in the other. Oh. And little shots of vodka. <laughs> and yeah, I thought it was just the best, best thing ever. I really, um, I really love, um, I don't know if this is my, maybe some sort of institutional thing, but I love going to bed knowing other people are still up doing things. Like in the few occasions I've slept in hospitals in my life, I've slept really well. Is that weird? Knowing there's other people buzzing around, other stuff is happening. Oh, so you never fear that someone's going to just 
go mad in the night in the hospital and get at you with an axe. <laughs> no, I do. I, I know. I didn't. <laughs> now you put that in my head. <laughs> Appreciate that. So, Shappy, we're going to go back to the beginning of your Amazon history. Now, um, I got a text yes. from you yesterday saying it only goes back ten items. I'm very, very happy to tell you that's not the case. It does not only go back ten items. So, I am now. Oh in 2004 oh you're going really far back <laughs> i didn't even know i had amazon then oh you did and you used it very very well you used it very very well you oh no yeah oh god don't don't say that i bought like sex toys or anything like that because <laughs> in 2004 i was probably still doing things like that the, the sex i things. don't anymore <laughs> right i see okay yeah i was young i was young right and less tired you still had your urges well exactly so well i don't know yeah there's a sense of partying because you've bought in april uh pop art pet shop boys the the hits i mean that's fantastic oh, wow. that's good man that's okay <laughs> nothing to be embarrassed about there surely you're right okay, okay. yeah I, I partied a lot then and then also you bought in uh, July 2004 Franz Ferdinand. What an what an of the moment album that is. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. That was the year I got together with my husband as well, my ex-husband 2004 and I was so into Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. And when we hung out um at Jongler's in Edinburgh he was like on the way back to England he was just taking the mickey out of me for liking Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> And I don't think I listened to the album after that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's a great album to fall in love to because you just sing to him, Take Me Out. And that's how it all starts. It's wonderful. Mm. Um, So Jonglers in Edinburgh. So so you were at Edinburgh 2004 then, were you? That wasn't your first. uh, That wasn't your first rodeo, was it? No, no, no. Um, In fact, I I didn't do an Edinburgh show that year Mm -hmm. because I did one in 2003 and then I didn't go back till 2006. But. 2004 I was I was just you know a gig in comic performing at the Jonglers there yes and just a normal club comic and the the days when I used to stay for the disco afterwards and they played Grease Medley and I would just stay and dance (laughs) with all the punters I can't imagine doing that now I I always well you'd only do it if you did well though New, you know, oh yeah 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 the the idea I, a couple of times i was staying with you know doing a weekend and and friends would insist on going out and having a dance with the punters and i'd done a particularly average gig and i was like that is my idea of absolute hell dancing with people <laughs> all walking past you saying you're absolute dog shit that is not ideal i know but it was so fun to get the glory afterwards you know this is like before you know before there were that many sort of tv celebrity comedians yeah. you know that sort of hadn't really kicked off then live at the apollo hadn't been recommissioned yeah. and so you were absolute superstars on a saturday night if you did well at jonglers yeah it was great fun. yeah it's true it's brilliant brilliant <laughs> um so that's 2004 what time, what year did you start what time what year did you start gigging? <laughs> about 7 30 <laughs> um i started i did my first ever gig in 2006 christmas 2006 mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. and then i you know what it was so sporadic it was so hard to get gigs. I think I got like one a month for the first year. Yeah. And then I did Glastonbury and I only had a five minute set. Mm. Um, but Glastonbury was half an hour, but I still said yes to the gig because it was free tickets. Oh God, what were you thinking? And also Glastonbury's such a hard gig. So this is, so hang on. So what year is this you were doing Glastonbury? Oh gosh, that would have been 19, maybe it was like 1996. Seven, right. Eight, okay. Something. Okay. And you're doing half an hour in a tent 
I mean, that is, it's such a difficult gig to do well, even if you've got hours of material. Yeah, I know. And it was, I, I just got, um, what did I ha- what happened to me? I, I, I did maybe 11 minutes. It was the year that, that, oh, there's this particular news story. Oh, I don't want to talk about it because it's really sad, but it was a, a, a British nanny who had been done for, uh, something hideous mm. and it was a massive news story Woodward Louise oh, Woodward oh gosh yeah the a baby shaking thing oh yeah 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 awful, yeah awful. and I remember like doing a joke about it and this oh, is God. like before I had children so I didn't quite yeah I'm like now I wouldn't even I can't even bear to think about the whole thing and anyway long story short I did I tried everything to get out of doing the gig I kept stumbling outside the tent pretending to feel faint oh, wow. hoping someone would say are you okay and I'd be like oh no I'm very ill <laughs> uh, but nobody did and oh. and then I got taken into a caravan and said look we're paying you for half an hour you just did 11 minutes and I started crying oh. It was hideous, oh, is... but they put me back. Yeah. <laughs> they did that years later. But you know what? Then now, when I do Glastonbury, it is the highlight of my year because obviously I missed it this year. But mm. I, you know, not to blow my own trumpet, but I nail that game. Yes, because I died that time. I never forget that time I died there, yeah. um, and I never forget like people shouting at me to get off and so every time i go back i just feel like this is my house yes and just so. a nice house with with fewer jokes about tragic incidents involving oh, I, I mean it was oh. it wouldn't have been it it wouldn't have been a joke take it i mean oh, I, I, I can't I mean, even oh, I, just... I can't even talk about it yeah <laughs> but do you, yeah. Do you ever get like, that thank god twitter didn't exist oh, then i know i know this is the thing i get this moment as well the, the sort of the material shame and it's often your first five or ten minutes because you yeah. are just scrabbling around doing like anything you can find just try it out i can remember doing stuff about childbirth when i was about 22 and there's a woman who she was in the front <laughs> row she was eight months pregnant and i was making jokes about how awful childbirth was but with no no joke element to it at all like not that that would rescue the situation particularly but and i look back and I, do you know how often i think i think about that at least once a month i have a flashback and think you you fucking asshole no well you were young and we were all young and like you say you're trying to just find out who the hell you are on stage yes and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're saying and uh then that's okay like i have stuff but oh blimey Mm -hmm. if i like they just i'm so glad there's no record of of my my joke about boy bands (laughs) now i just want to know come on come on god i was so young and i have to say i had an irish boyfriend who said this and i put it in my set yeah and it was when like boy zone and westlife and all that and the joke was, I can't believe I'm saying it on a podcast. Real. My shame. Well, this is the, I'm going to get cancelled after this. Real. Okay, this will be the last professional engagement I have. It was all these Irish boy bands are all very well, but who's going to mend the roads? <gasps> oh. Yeah. Oh, that is. I was about 23. Yeah, I was 23. I know. I know. We've... Me. Me with my human rights activism. Well, me with my anti-racism stance. But in order to become yeah. a great person, which is what you undoubtedly now are, Shepard, you have to take a little <laughs> walk around the arsehole room. You know? Yeah. We have to do that. We have to do that. And... That was my arsehole room. And yeah. I was like, yeah, but no, it's fine because my boyfriend's Irish yeah. and he said it and he found it funny, so it's okay. Oh, wow. Nah. Yeah. 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 Where we're going, we'll be showing that we listen to toes Cause these lovely ass people gonna talk to the hoes He's gonna ask a couple questions What to buy in the most Cause one man got just like a piece of toast 
2008 now, Shappa. You go quiet for a couple of years on Amazon. That's it. You bought um, Franz Ferdinand and a couple of other bits and bobs. And then uh, 2008, you come storming back with one of my favourite albums. Now, this happened last week, actually. Uh, we had Alexis Jubas on, and he's a massive fan of the 90s band Gene. And we talked about Gene for ages. And I went on and on about how great it was to finally have a guest uh, who had bought an album that I loved. And now, one week later, sorry, listeners, but I'm about to indulge again, because Shappy buys, on the 9th of December 2008, a short album about love by oh. the Divine Comedy, which is it's only about eight tracks long, I think, and it is what still... I, I adore that album so, so much. It's one of my favourites. Everybody knows that I love let's, let's, you. I was about to join in with you then. I just thought, let's not Everybody sing to each other. Everybody knows that I need you. <laughs> Everybody knows that it's Except <laughs> you. Except you. Except you. Just... But I love that. And then that, if I was a horse. Yes. If you were a horse, I'd clean the crap from out your stable. I love the Divine Comedy with my heart and soul. And that album um, just takes me back to being young, mm. doing comedy, mm. um, hanging out with my friends and always getting ready to go out to gigs to that album. We'd all, that was our getting ready to go out album. Nice. And just skipping out and hoping that we'd get invited to some party or other where comics would be at. Yeah. Because um, all we ever wanted to do was to hang out. Yeah. And be that. Just fun. be that. It's it's just, it's it's be- such beautiful music and so much um, so much joy in it. I just, I adore everything that Neil yeah. Hannon's done. And But weirdly, that album is the gem for me, which is odd because it's yeah. not one of the headline albums. Um and also I remember it's a hidden it is a hidden gem isn't yeah. it it's it's yeah. a very well kept secret and, and I've it's an album I probably would have bought that album for, for as a present to someone because mm. it's an album I've bought a lot as presents to people because yeah because it's years like, later oh, it was that came out in the 90s and you bought this in 2008 mm. it's it's a shame we don't really buy music as presents anymore we don't really say I chose this album for you I know because I think you'd like it because everyone gets their music online other than well you, or you can just say uh, I've bought you a Spotify subscription so therefore I've bought you all of the music <laughs> for just 9.99 exactly yeah that's how much i love you um let's talk about the divine comedy though because i heard you on i think you were on the chris evans breakfast show and which i listened to religiously because i think he's a god and then yes he is fantastic fantastic and i heard you on i was like oh shappy you lucky side you're on chris evans brilliant so i was listening to that and then divine comedy came on and i heard you interacting i was like oh my god you're now meeting neil hannon uh, so yeah. tell me about that experience, please. Oh, okay. Well, it wasn't the first time. So oh. the first time I met him yeah. was at a party years and years ago because I used to date his tour manager oh, um, very briefly right. when I was like, oh, God, I was about 27. Um, this American guy who was horrific. He used to, we used to go to comedy clubs and he'd heckle <laughs> the acts. This is like before I was established. That was like really awkward. And so we went to one of their gigs. He took us to a gig and I had a short album about love and he um, signed it for a friend of mine because I'd bought another one as a present. It's the only present I ever give people, actually. Good. Um, sometimes I forget and I give it to them for birthday and Christmas. So <laughs> there's a lot of... If you, if you come across a, a copy of it, it's very a, a new copy of it, it's very likely that it's, it's passed through <laughs> one of my friends. That sounds gross. Showering this album around the place. Yeah. So I was like, oh, can you send this to my friend? And then... I was on Rod Gilbert's Radio 4 show mm-hmm. and I and he was behind me about to sing and I had to do a stand-up set 
like mm. sitting down into a microphone and it bombed. It didn't <sighs> go well at all. And I was mortified. It was it was uh, not as bad as when I died in front of while Billy Bragg watched me, but it was bad. And then um, and then I saw him at the Chris Evans show, and that was different because I thought there's no way in the in the world he'd remember. And then I told them how much I loved them. Yeah. And then after the show, um, he came over and he said, would you like to come to our gig as our guest and come backstage and and hang out with us? I was like, oh, my goodness, I would love to. I mean, that is just a dream come true. So where was the gig? It was at the Palladium. Oh. I had to leave halfway through. Why? Can I tell you why? Why? Oh, it's a childbirth thing. Come on. Oh, look, you know what? I, I've actually made a decision to talk about this publicly because the pain is so intense and everyone laughs about it. Mm. But um, one of the side effects of childbirth to me was really painful hemorrhoids. And I'd had treatment on them that day. And I was in such agony, such agony <laughs> that I couldn't sit down. I couldn't stand up. And then I had to leave. I had to leave the gig. And he probably just thinks I was just really rude and didn't bother no. coming back to say hi. But it was um, it was because of really intense farmers. I can't believe oh. I'm saying this. If it wasn't lockdown, I wouldn't be so candid. But frankly, I don't talk to it. I've forgotten how to socialise. I've forgotten how to <laughs> do anything. <laughs> this is what's so great. It's, it's all built up. Lockdown has been this sort of conversational dam and I'm exploding it <laughs> one bit of gold at a time. So so hang on. So we've got so much to go over here, Shappy. First of all, dying in front of Billy Bragg. We'll come back to that. Secondly, you're watching like our favourite yeah. band, the most brilliant expression of everything I'd want to try and express about myself, and you're having to leave because of your arsehole. And I had backstage passes. And you had, I mean... Yeah, it was really sad. So, so does so have you made any contact with him since? Because I think a quick tweet saying, listen... I did write to their manager. I, I did yeah. write to... Because it was their... Obviously, I wasn't dealing with him direct. It was his um, his manager or PR person. And right. I just wrote and said, um, you know, thank you so much. And I had, I wasn't feeling well, so I had to go. I didn't elaborate on why I wasn't feeling well no. because I'd never met the lady. It just seemed a bit too much. But I think that element, that the detail of why you're feeling bad. First of all, we do need to talk about all these things. I think it's mm -hmm. important because any any taboo about physical ailments is just bad news, right? There should be yeah. no, there's no yeah, shame in yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. You're not, right. not for a second am I ridiculing anything about that. But come on, it's quite funny. Like it was the funny. Fact oh. that you're, <laughs> like you poor like thing. You must, thing. You, you must have been in so much pain to sort of agony. Oh, agony. I can't imagine. The 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 pain of hemorrhoids is something that was worse than childbirth for me. Oh, so they banded them. Oh my god! And on the way home from the hospital, I called up my ex husband and I was crying because hmm. our son um, reads on the loo like I used to. It is such a bad thing to do because the remaining in that position is so so bad for your pelvic floor is that right so you're not so you got to does that mean you got to be quick get it done get in there get it done yeah because um i had now i look back when i look back upon my life um i remember going to the hospital the doctors when i was a kid with some problem with bottom related and the first yeah. thing the gp said she said uh do you read on the loo? And I went, yeah. And she said, you need to stop doing that because it's it's this is how piles form. So a lifetime of reading on the loo, then childbirth, Oof. all of that weight pushing down, it's over. So basically I mean, what you're saying is over. all those bog books you get 
for Christmas should have like good. like cigarette packets with cancer warnings. They should have pictures of hemorrhoids on. Could cause hemorrhoids. Yeah, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Jason Fleming. The More Than My Past podcast will see me talking to a wide range of inspiring people. People who have confronted and overcome addiction or imprisonment or both and turned their lives around. I did mad things that was hurting myself and hurting other people. Everybody grows up in a house called normal. Heroin addiction and chaos was my normal. Some people don't understand the word moderation and uh, I was definitely one of those people. The More Than My Past podcast. 12th of July 2008, Shappy, my birthday, FYI, uh, you've bought the Lonely Planet Guide to Iran. What year was that? 2008, this <gasps> is. Ah, interesting. I know why I would have done that. That was that was a big deal for me that year because I, I did um, my first big TV show and it was the thing that really started off my career off the circuit okay uh it was the secret policeman's ball we have liftoff yes i remember you being on that yes yes yeah it was a massive massive deal and i did a joke about the lonely planet guy to iran i had to buy it to take with me to the gig as my prop so this was a prop this was not you uh going for a trip to iran no and that 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 gig was it sort of really changed my fortunes it meant a lot for all the times i've messed up that mm. one i didn't mess up so that was good who cares about billy bragg who cares about dying in front of the bragg when oh you're on the god se- it was so so awful oh. <laughs> what happened with billy you bragg know, so was that at glastonbury yeah, as well yeah okay yes it was at glastonbury so what <laughs> what happened was i was at the main tent the main cabaret tent doing yes. my my half hour set Yes. And then I had to dash to the left field tent and do a set for Billy. He'd booked me that year. Right. Now, you know yourself, you never smash it twice in a row, no. just as you don't die twice in a row, right? Mm-hmm. 
So the gig I did in the cabaret tent, listen, I'm not one for glory stories, but journalist from the Daily Mirror was in the audience. And as I left, I checked Twitter and he wrote after my set, Shappy Sandy just brought Glastonbury to its knees. Oh, right. yes, please. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Love that. Thank you. <laughs> On and all so my posters. I flew to left field after one of the best gigs of my life to a very different audience, a very different every, well, it is, it's a different tent. And I did the most lukewarm performance. And what I did was because it's a left field tent and Billy Bragg was watching, what I did was I pulled out stuff or like political material that I thought he'd agree with and that the crowd would agree with. And I shouldn't have, I should have just done my bangers. Because agreement isn't funny. No. No, and it just, it was, and at one point, this is so bad, I had to turn to him and say, Billy, I'm so sorry, but do you mind moving from the side of the stage because I can't concentrate with you standing there? So he went, oh, all right, then, and he left. And it was one of those times where... um, if, if if I'd stormed it, if I had done in that tent what I'd done at the previous tent, yeah. we would have like been friends for life. You know oh. what I mean? He would have. But as it was, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, she's a nice girl. And I actually came off stage shattered mm. and I told him what happened. And he went, girl, you know, you, you, you don't smash it twice in a day. You don't. No one's ever <laughs> done that. No one's. And he got it immediately. He immediately got oh, what happened. Bless him. But oh. this is the thing, though. And so, so, but gigging in front of famous people i remember the time Stuart um lee rocked up to my edinburgh show and i absolutely stunk it out i just couldn't cope i mean i just could not cope so tell us what it was like and that's a drop in the ocean when it comes to doing the secret policeman's ball that tell us what this gig is and how amazing that must have been for you as a moment oh it was amazing so that i was very new i i um hadn't done any telly i don't think and it was the biggest platform that i performed on and my manager at the time got me on it. Mm. And so the Secret Policeman's Ball is, it's got a really amazing history, you know, uh, in in comedy. Uh, it's it's uh, twinned with Amnesty International. It's sort of their gig. Um, but I remember watching it when I was a kid and seeing all the most incredible comedians on it. And to be on it myself, but the advantage I had was that no one knew who I was. Yeah, Nobody knew me. And so my opening gag was, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror before I came on stage. Don't worry, I don't know who I am either. Good. <laughs> and then I said, got a big laugh. And I did my, my set, which was then described as a, a set that would stand up forever in any comedy museum. I didn't understand what that meant. I thought that was a cuss at first, but actually it just meant it was watertight and yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it was in the days where my, my comedy was... You know, because I I uh, cut my teeth at Jonglers. You know, I was a proper club comic. I did mm. set up punch. There were no meandering stories. There was nothing pithy. Um, I wasn't a storyteller that I am more, much more nowadays. I was mm. like machine gun fire gags. And I, I kind of want to get back to that, you know. There's, well, that's there's... what Jonglers teaches us. All that, those gigs. Yeah. I did years and years on Jonglers. And you realise, first of all, it's quite a humbling thing because you go out and you are nobody. And also, there's a whole audience of people who spent 15 quid. A lot of them don't want to be there for comedy. And you've got to fucking grab them and entertain them. And they've just yeah. had a really hard week working. And to, to grab them for 20 minutes, that develops a comedy muscle, which you need. And then you yeah. can go on and do all the whimsy, flimsy, Absolutely, flimsy stories. Yeah. Absolutely. It it was proper, you know, 
pro proper um, ground from the gr ground up training. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm very proud of it. I'm very, very proud of being a club comic. Yeah, it's what defines you, isn't it? What you do right at the beginning of your career. Uh, what also defines you is what you've been buying on Amazon. December 2012, 27th of December 2012. Um, we have got When Mum Turned Into a Monster by Joanna Harrison. Tell us about this, please. Oh, oh my God. December 2012. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because, okay, so, oh, that's really bad. So I um, struggled quite a bit with stress yeah. um, when I was going through a divorce and my son was only little and sometimes I would just get really, really stressed and shouty and so I bought this book and it's about a mum who go, gets so stressed she ends up screaming her head off at her children and turning into an absolute monster and then she calms down and says sorry to her children and then they get on with their day and I bought him that book to read with him to sort of just reassure him that it's not just his mummy yeah. that loses her shit <laughs> all mums all parents lose their shit don't you find with those books because they are brilliant we've got a few bits and bobs like that that they, they teach you as much as they teach the kids so for example the thing in there about how the mum apologizes that we've got one like that where it twigged it dawned on me it's telling me you need to apologize yeah yeah own own up yeah. with your kids when your behavior has been so yeah. bad. Yeah. Being able to talk to your children about, look, I, I'm really sorry I shouted, that was wrong of me. And and then you it kind you kind of I don't know, are able to just be really human with them. I don't remember my parents ever apologizing to me. No. And they should have for speaking Mine to me harshly. They should have apologized to me. And it's a big thing. Yeah, absolutely not. No yeah. way. Yeah. No my way. my dad did when I was oh like two years ago. He made me a really nice picture uh with a speech bubble coming out of his mouth saying I'm sorry. <gasps> and a picture of me. That meant the world. It really did. And I, I sometimes I wonder what I wonder what it would have been like if he'd sat me down when I was seven after losing his temper at uh, uh, clearly not me it's something else in fact my, my son said to me when he was three you're not angry with me you're angry with something else but only i'm here oh my god at three yeah that at three is... apparently wow that's intelligent when we're three we're we're like the cleverest we'll ever be oh really apparently yeah apparently three-year-olds are like the smartest people in the universe well my wife always says i've got a mental age of a three-year-old yeah, so you're very take clever. That. there we are take that's that yeah but i just wonder if imagine if your parents sat you down and went Tom, you know when I shouted at you just now, you didn't deserve that. That was my, that was my wrong, and I'm really sorry. And I'm going to do my best. And next time I'm stressed, go and have five minutes. And now I say to yeah. my children, when I when I'm really stressed, I go, I love you both, but I need to be on my own for five minutes in my yes. room. Yes. And they're like, okay. So. I just can't imagine anything more healing than your parents saying sorry to you. It's amazing. That must have been very, very emotional when your dad made that thing. That's made me well up. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, because we had we we'd fallen out over something, and you know, rather than let it just you know be silent until we just talk and not mention it again, which is what mm. normally happens. Yeah, he actually sort of said sorry. I can't even remember what the row was about, but no. yeah, 
it's oh. it is healing and i think that it's and i you know and, and also i think it's important when you're when you're all getting on and you're having a good time to say look remember that like my children and i during lockdown we do talk about the um, milk tray incident that happened on day two of lockdown well i was just you know i was just so um full of anxiety all my work disappeared terrified that my parents would catch covid terrified i might Yes. Hearing in the news that people my age were dying of it. Yes, yes, yes. Um and so I bought this box of milk tray that my son just ripped open. He just ripped the the top open instead of opening it neatly so he could reclose it. Mm. And I ended up just throwing it in the bin <sighs> with my <laughs> usual speech of you don't know how lucky you are. We didn't have milk tray in our day. We had to make milk tray out of mud. And... <laughs> when we were eating coal. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize you were brought up in the 1940s. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible how we, we make our childhood so appalling. It's amazing. Oh, God. Um, but, but, I threw them away. This, and, and, and your son at this point is just like, I, I know these. I'm just looking he through He just you, ushered my, son, my daughter out of the kitchen and just looked yeah. back at me and said, you're behaving really badly. Oh, God. <laughs> and I went, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it doesn't happen that often. No. And also, I think it gives them tremendous emotional intelligence. I really do. I think it gives them the, rea- the reality of human relationships. And hu- this idea that parents are always trying to be perfect and infallible just makes for a big moment when they hit 18 or 20, when it all falls apart. But if they know from day one, mine certainly do, that their parents, certainly their dad, is a bit of an idiot, then that helps everything, I think. I think it's healthy. What's that, that thing um, that the, the 14-year-old boy looks at his father and thinks, God, this guy's a, a moron. He's an idiot. He doesn't know a thing. And that same lad looks at his dad when he's 21 and goes, hey, dad's learned a thing or two in the last few years. <laughs> Ooh, I don't want to hear no more crying. Just come on, let me know what you've been buying. May 2012, you buy a book, and I'm assuming you buy this in a... Um, out of interest, out of curiosity way. Because this has cropped up a few times. Various comics have bought this. Neil Strauss's... Oh, God, it's not Mein Kampf, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Eight times you bought Mein Kampf. Happy Christmas! <laughs> no, you buy The Game by Neil Strauss, the vile, ghastly, <laughs> undercover in the secret society of pickup artists. And the reality of this book is how disgusting, grimy men pick up women by negging them and all that sort of stuff. Now, this book was very, very popular. I remember seeing this around a lot in the early noughties, lots of um, lots of men were buying this book. Tell me why you bought it in May 2012. Okay, in 2012, I was really badly negged by a guy uh-huh. who I went out with for eight eight months, and I didn't realise that's what he was doing. I didn't realise he was playing a game. Um, uh-huh. He was. Um, I did a whole show about him. He was the lead singer of a, uh, a quite a successful band. Um, and I was quite flattered that he liked me and wanted to go out with me. And I found out that the entire time he had played this, um, game thing where he'd say, say something terrible about me, but then something nice, like, you know, I never thought the girl of my dreams would be as old as you or, um, 
Oh, just oh, a million just, yeah. things or like grab my arms over dinner, look into my eyes and say, you are the most beautiful, the most amazing person. And then suddenly go, oh, your arms are flabbier than I thought. Like that, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's like a sort of evil Paul McKenna, isn't it? It's some weird NLP thing. Yeah, and it works because I was like 38 years old. I thought I was past being hoodwinked by people. And but it was, yeah. again, 2012 was quite a tricky time in my life. And then um, I, I found out that he had another girlfriend, that he, he was actually leading a double life. So he would do things like I did this TV thing. And the day that we wrapped, I I was uh, had to rush down to Devon and do a... A tour show and I was staying in this really sad little hostel by mm. myself and he hadn't called me to say well done for finishing the filming that I'd done he hadn't called me knowing that I was going to be really lonely in Devon and the next morning I was on like replacement buses I couldn't get hold of him he would promised me he'd call me he hadn't I was so upset and I just got the vibe that he's with another woman I got the vibe mm. and I left a, mess- a message saying do you know what this is like happened so many times when you disappear off the face of the earth and I can't do this anymore we need to have a chat and and then he sent me um, a text message saying when you get to King's Cross you're going to feel so silly about the message that you just sent me. So I turned up at King, and he was there with flowers at King's Cross. And he said, the reason I didn't get in touch with you is because I was, I was on the sleeper train from um, up north where he um, was from. And for whatever reason, couldn't get a call, f- um, train signal, but I got up at four in the morning to make it in time to meet you here. Anyway, so when I got found out he had another girlfriend and I got in touch with her, she and I spent hours like through the night going through our diary. And that day, he of course, he had been with her. And when he said, I've come from up north, he meant up north London. (laughs) He just, he was like, he woke up from her bed and came to meet me at King's Cross and gave her some story about a recording studio or something. And so there was just, um, throughout the eight months, um, endless incidences like that. And when I finally twigged and there was this, and I was like, oh my God, you were doing the game. And he goes, I invented the game before that guy wrote that book. I was like, whoa. So that's why I bought the game. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. So that moment that you confront him Mm. with what he's up to, he doesn't deny that that's what he's playing he gets cross that his ego has been bruised by someone else writing the book of the assholery that he's yeah. been acting out. Yeah, I was so happy. He only met my son twice. And when I found out about he was still seeing his girlfriend, he was with my, we were with my boy. He'd taken my mm. boy into like this bouncy castle. And while he, while they were on it, I had his phone and up popped a text message from her. So when he came off the bouncy castle, I just showed it to him. I said, I know about this. Obviously, my boy's here. Not going to make a fuss. Can you just take me home and get out of my life and never call me again? And we got into a taxi, all quiet. And my son was like three. Yeah. And he looked at him and just went, and this is so not like my boy. He went, I don't like you. I'm wow. better. And he goes, I'm better than you. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's so weird. <sighs> I was like, my boy saw that man for what he was, but he was too little to properly like. He 
destroyed that man in one sentence. That's the emotional intelligence of a three-year-old coming through again. And listen, this is something, you don't have to talk about this uh, on this Mm. podcast at all, but this is something which resonates with what's going on at the moment as well in the stand-up world, um, which is, of course, this, this... you know it's so important and it's overdue there's yeah. this kind of a me too moment happening in stand-up land right yeah. now um and i guess this plays into it as well basically this book this this feels like it it, it flags up the way that men have been behaving in in the stand-up world as well yeah and you know what's really interesting when i spoke to this guy's girlfriend so she she um had the same uh, she had the same thing as me we both um have eating disorders right and it was really interesting because when people who are compulsive people which is what addicts are um we we are targeted by people like that and then what's happening on the comedy circuit is really interesting because you know, I'm from, you know, you and I both from the 90s where we didn't talk about this stuff. We thought feminism was matching the men pint for pint mm. and <laughs> pretending that we really enjoyed one night stands. But we had no way of verbalizing that actually that I didn't want that to happen because we were meant to just enjoy what the men enjoyed. That that was what the whole Ladette culture mm. sort of mm. sold to us. And so we never verbalized the horrible stuff that was going on, not even to our closest friends. We were all meant to just laugh it off or drink it off. And then with what's happening now, I realized that it's no coincidence that that guy doing that to me, he wasn't the first and it had happened before. And now I talk to the younger female comedians who are so much more um tuned in to this Mm. kind of stuff than my generation uh was they're like yeah because you display traits that they recognize as vulnerable and yet you're a strong person and but and it's a game to 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 that yeah it's a vulnerability that they see and i was like fuck I, i was displaying that and 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 that's why it happens to some people and and not I mean, it can happen to anybody, but if it's happening to you quite a bit, then there are there's a certain type of guy that sees that um, that vulnerability, and then you, when when that thing happened with this guy, I nearly said his name actually. Mm-hmm. That's when I thought, okay, okay, wow, that's it's not ah, it's. It's um, finding the right victim. Yes, you know. Yeah. Well, that's a part of the game. The, the, the game. Yeah. It says in the game that you that, that you've got to keep going. You have to try loads of women because it won't work with all of them. I mean, yeah. there's this that that it's that's ba- that's baked into this this thing, and it's you know, and the the connection as well with this, the comedy industry and stand up world. There's no denying, and this is something that that men like you know us men who have been part of the comedy world for a while need to talk about it there is a certain type of man who does that who is also often has the same personality traits as a stand-up comic so you can get that sort of person doing these things on the circuit and it's about time this conversation was had to to flag up the men who are doing this it needs to happen i i remember once going like being like 23 again very young and going to a comedy club um and they're all men and it's not like today where there's so many more um, women and they are you know they talk to one another yeah. um we didn't then I didn't have any friends and then 
I turned up to this gig and this male comedian went, oh, here she is. Um, I'll get the knife, you get the duct tape, or you open the boot when I right. turned up, right? And yeah. the other comedians rolled their, like, just, you know, rolled their eyes. I go, what's he like? Mm. And then one guy said to him, mate, steady on, you know. And then mm. this, this guy sort of took the mickey out of him for standing up to me. For, for standing up for me yeah and then i look back on that and just think so you walk into a dressing room some guy makes a joke about you know putting you in a car boot and taking you off to you know whatever and and then you're meant to go on the same stage and do the same job and make the same audience laugh yeah it's undermining you that's what it's trying to do that's what massively do. massively undermining you and that's what the game is is to knock your confidence undermine you and and I, my personality or the way I have been for whatever reason has been a porthole, um, portal, mm. not a porthole. That's on a, <laughs> obviously, honestly, in lockdown, I've completely lost my command of English. It's really bad. <laughs> no wonder. It's a good job you stopped uh, writing the book. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And this, yeah. So um, anyway, this was my book. She felt really bad about that. The end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all I've I've found all this stuff on the circuit that people are talking about very triggering, as they yeah. say. Even that was a word we didn't use. We didn't use the word triggering. We didn't use the expression body autonomy. No one knew what gaslighting meant. You know. Yeah. Um, we didn't we didn't have this vocabulary, and uh, so it's been it's been a, it's been quite a weekend, Tom. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like uh, it? And well, going back to the word I used before, is there a sense of healing around it? Do you feel like it's a positive thing, or do you think there's still a long way to go? Um, well, personally, I had to speak up on Facebook it, it just this weekend. I don't know if you and I are friends on Facebook, but I wrote a post that um, was really hard to write, but I felt like I had to. Because there was some um, one male comedian who really trashed the women who were speaking up about this. And um, I, I just sort of wrote what that particular guy had done to me, like, when I was 26. I had to, like, you know, I'm happy to sort of, well, I'm not happy, but there's so many things that you just put down to experience or you don't want to ruin someone's career and, you know, I'm completely aware that some people might listen to this saying that, you know, well, why the fuck shouldn't you? But you've got to do what you can manage. You know, if, if you're going to call out the perpetrator of a crime, someone who's assaulted you, someone who's harassed you, you also have to take into consideration how much of this you can manage of yeah. the aftermath in your own life. Um, particularly if you are quite a... You know, it's just I've, I have to keep my my shit together for my children, right? So I can't. I've got to be so careful of what I uh, unearth in my life to make it manageable. But because of this guy's post, I thought, no, you forced me to now call you out publicly because you've trashed publicly the women who are speaking up. And yeah, that was really hard. Talk. And has has he reacted? I have. Seen I have no idea. Him. I didn't put it. I didn't tag him in. But mm. the people on the comedy community have um, reacted really supportively. Mm. And I've had messages from people who you know I haven't seen for years or comics that I'm not particularly good friends with. But but they've they've written me really supportive messages, and it's it's such a relief that they 
even though I might know, not know them very well, they know me. It's awful that I have to think this, but they know me well enough to know that I'm not the, no, who is the sort of person? Look how internalized all this shit is. Cause I nearly said, I'm not the sort of person to sort of like, you know, call people out willy nilly. <laughs> Why shouldn't you be that person? Do the calling out. But Do I'm it. like, oh, I'm really sorry, everyone, but I'm just going to have to let you know that this guy behaved really appallingly and I'm so sorry to cause a fuss and I'm so sorry to cause ripples. But this is the hardened Shappy who spent years and years on a 90s and noughties jongler's comedy oh, scene oh, yeah. where you can, uh, you know, you're going, you are the only woman on the bill every fucking time. Trust me, I've done those gigs. You're the only woman on the bill every time. And you, you, that behavior, it's the microaggressions there. And then this story that happened with this guy, this is not a microaggression. This is not a small thing. This is significant what happened. And yeah, it's it's brave and all those cliches, but it's really important. That's the most important thing. It's Do you know what I think back when I look at the comedy circuit is if I walked in a dressing room and there was, um, you know, somebody like yourself there or, you know, I, I'd go, yay. Yay, this is a nice dressing room. And looking back on that, actually what I meant was this is a dressing room and no one's going to be a dick to me because I'm a woman. Yeah. It's only just now that I've realized how I felt or why I felt a, a dressing room was a nice dressing room. And um, yeah, and that makes me sad because I think, you know, I missed out on a lot of the friendships that I could have had had I felt comfortable and un unharassed or you yeah. know been sure that I'll have a safe night I wouldn't have some coked up wanker you know saying disgusting crude things to me you know um and having to style it out because I'm trying to just be a comic like they are and yeah. comics aren't meant to break down and cry and say you've just really fucking rattled me you know we're not meant to say that we're meant to be bulletproof mm. ah it's so hard it's just no i know i'm really grateful for you to you know to you for, for doing all this stuff it's just so important it's so brilliant it's happened and it's not and... making your podcast very funny though is no, it no no no, no. I don't, it's all right it's my job to make sure it's not funny i i, I absolutely guarantee it's not funny every week this is really important Shappy, and i and you know with your permission i want this to go out because it yeah. needs to be it needs to be it's a story that needs to be told because we do talk about the comedy circuit a lot on this podcast um of course we do and and there is that element to the circuit that has been there and you know i just i think it's really good and also i think it's going to improve comedy and let's not get too bogged down in this conversation because we must move on but yeah. i do think that when you women are now going to be doing co or comedy is no longer going to be seen as this thing to perpetuate the laddest or your thing whether it's women yeah. and men trying to now we can all just do comedy that is just funny instead of trying to please the green room and imp impress the dressing room and keep the yeah. keep those alpha male uh uh, uh gorillas who yeah. are closing the clubs happy now we can do it for ourselves and it'll make the standard of comedy better there is no doubt yeah and and i think there are there are a few guys over the years that have been horrid to me like that i know that if i wrote to them privately and explained they would respond positively they would be they would be kind i think yeah if yeah. i and, and so that's why if i know that then i feel comfortable because we're you know we're, we're all we're all you know what was that we were talking about at the beginning the asshole room <laughs> we all have an asshole room 
this is an important stage to go through. We have yeah. to have a wonder around the outside room. And I wonder, in fact, as we move on now, Shappy, and we're on December 2016, yes. I wonder if you nipped back into the arsehole room uh, because you have bought for uh, Lord Tom Lucy, you've bought Shappy Corsandi a premium <laughs> feather-filled faux suede cushion. That's right, <laughs> guys. First time this has happened on My Mate Bought a Toaster, uh, you've bought someone a cushion with your face on it. That's <laughs> dreamy. <laughs> oh, bless him. So... Tom Lucy is a good friend of mine and he um, supported me on tour and that was my um, present. That was my Christmas <laughs> present <laughs> at the end of the tour because I found out that on eBay or Amazon or somewhere, well, it was Amazon obviously, they were selling cushions with my face on. I thought, who the hell buys this? And it's like a really bad picture of me when I'm about 25 with the yeah, feather Yeah, it's old. Bow. It's a really old one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, do you know what? I'm going to buy a cushion of me, and if nothing else, it'll make him giggle. So. <laughs> it's very comfy when he sits on your head. <laughs> That's really nice. I mean, ironically, Shappy, very good uh, thing to use if you've got bad hemorrhoids. Of course, to have a cushion to. Sorry to. Oh my god, I know. forgot we talked about that. See, it feels like a lifetime ago. It does feel like a while ago. It feels like a while ago. All right, listen, we are getting towards the end of this, and this has just been amazing. This, do you know what? There's so much more stuff, Shappy. So what will happen is I don't I'll know start... if I feel more vulnerable talking about the hemorrhoids or, or, or about the Me Too stuff. <laughs> I think it's the hemorrhoids. <laughs> Can you edit that out? <laughs> so uh, we'll have you back on. Basically, I'll start pestering you now, and in a year's time, you can come back on and update us. This um, is but... such a great idea, by the way. What a great podcast. Thank you. And you're such a great guest. This is so perfect. All the stuff we've talked about. So let's look at your lockdown very, very quickly. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have got some bits and bobs, uh, some running shoes. Uh, we've got uh, dogs, treat, toy ball. We've got some uh, bolly, bought a bottle of bolly for Duncan Oakley in May 2020. Yeah, Lovely Duncan Oakley. Present. Lovely. We love Duncan Oakley. Um, Build-A-Bear workshop as well. You've got some stuff there. That's looking nice. Is this all ringing bells? Good, very good. Um, Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lady Chatterley's lover. Yeah, a little bit of blue for mummy. Yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mummy porn. Yeah. Uh, Mummy porn, yeah, exactly. Um, And then, what is the most recent item that you have bought? Shappy Corsani, let's find out, shall we? This is the latest thing that you bought. Maybe you're still waiting for it to be delivered now. Chuck it! Sport Dog Ball Launcher. You've bought a wanger for your dog. It's an Ultra Ball uh, compatible thrower. There we are. There we are. There it is. Look at this. We end with you um, throwing balls for a dog. That's where my life is now. That's so nice, isn't it? To know that I've gone from the game to, to... Birthday presents for my daughter and balls for my dog. Yes. Nice. Yes, exactly. Um, yes. Uh, how much do you love your dog? By the way, I mean, I, I follow you on Twitter. I love your dog so much. She's I love my dog very, very much. I'm actually sending my dog away for a week to be professionally trained. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm finding her <laughs> hard to manage on the lead. Very hard to manage on the lead. So I, right. I, I've tried, I've tried. And I just don't, I'm, I'm just not, my, my con- concentration span isn't good enough the same way I can't homeschool my children, I've just found that um, I've found training her not to pull my arm out of his socket on the lead has been really challenging. Right. So I'm so sending her away. She's going off to dog warts for a little while. Yeah, she'll, she'll be, be fine. She'll be fine. She'll come back a better dog. She's going to come back all looking all sad but obedient. Well, she's she's had a few friends that have been and they've okay. they've all loved it. So I feel confident that she'll have a good time. Okay. Um, Listen, Shappy, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on My Mate Bought a Toaster. What a uh, 
What a delightful <laughs> array of items. What insight. It's emotional. Hasn't it just? Hasn't it just? Um, it was well worth the wait. Shappy called Sandy. Um, you're on Twitter, obviously. What yeah. are you just at Shappy called Sandy on Twitter? What are you on Twitter? at Shappy called Sandy and Instagram as well? Join me on Instagram. Whenever I post anything on Instagram, I lose followers um, because <laughs> I joined it just before I went on I'm a Celebrity. So it was all the people that liked I'm a Celebrity that went on it, but I don't post the sort of things that they want. So right. they, I just, I just shed them. <laughs> So, shedding the I'm a celeb fans. Yeah, that is that is a great game to play. Uh, we haven't even, we didn't even talk about I'm a celebrity. There's when did you go on that? Nothing to say. No, it's all been said, hasn't <laughs> it? When did you go on that? Uh, 2016, I think it was, or 17, right. 2017. Right. I can't remember. Like, oh, one of the 2000s. It was fine. It was. I had a beautiful holiday with my children in Australia, yeah. um, so it was good. That's the most important thing. Uh, uh, all right, Shappy, thanks very much for coming. All the best. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I love the good of it, baby. I don't want you for the rest of my day. <laughs> There you go, Shappy Corsandi. How wonderful is she? Um, just really, really pleased I finally got her on, and uh, she's just a delight. Um, and I will get her back on because there's loads of things I didn't get around to, loads of items I could see uh, while I was scrolling her Amazon. It's really interesting because when you make this, obviously you uh, record it first time round, and then you edit it, and I listen to it all over again. And um, it's just really rare to listen to it when you when you're editing it and just enjoy it as much as you did first time it's very rare and i did that time she was just brilliant um i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did as well and all the usual gubbins here don't forget to give us a follow we're on instagram now as well and on twitter and i've got a an amazon page as well gosh it's all happening anyway lots of love hope you're all doing okay and i'll be back next week see you soon goodbye from everyone at toaster towers hey everyone here at toaster towers say goodbye goodbye it's just me okay GreatBigOwl.com Can't face those Twitter notifications? Forgot to watch anything but Netflix? Dreading the video conference small talk at nine? You need a new vitamin, you know. You need the Smart 7. It's a brand new daily podcast that puts your brain into gear. Everything you need to know in less than seven minutes. You need the smarts? Hey, we got the smarts. The Smart 7, every weekday at 7am. Available right now on Spotify and all the usual places. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.